Today's teaching text comes from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. This past year um, has presented me, has presented many of us with um, more opportunities than I would have ever thought would be mine or yours. Uh, To be in a place of having no idea what to say. And when you have no idea what to say, and yet you have a uh, perpetual speaking engagement, uh, presents a challenge. (laughs) So I want to share from my heart, best I can, uh, though you've already had, I think, the most powerful sermon you you could hear, which is resurrection hope in the face of death, tragic loss. I'll say this, life is unexpected. I don't think that's going to surprise you to hear, but um, our deepest pain and our deepest grief will often surprise us out of the blue. And the flip side of that is uh, our deepest joys do the same thing. And sometimes they show up so remarkably close to one another that it's startling. And what... I am grateful for is the chance to wake up from my illusions that life is somehow controllable or expected or manageable with just human resources, right? That's the illusion that we sell back and forth to one another in our culture is that, is that you can control life and that you can uh, remove the variables and protect yourself in some sort of fortress of happiness. Uh, and sometimes we actually... We mean, we say happiness, but what we're selling one another is pleasure, you know. Happiness has something to do with contentment and contending for things, and, and pleasure is always needed on repeat, but, right, that, that illusion, you get enough whatever, money or the right significant other person or a meaningful job or the recognition of your talents or a connection with your true self and then the ability and freedom to express your true self. You get this vast array of things that accompany our lifestyle, these products, and you're going to be happy and you're going to be secure. And we have so many distractions that unless we're intentional about it, we don't have much space to examine our framework, our foundation, and That's why grief is, it's one of the reasons grief is so shocking to us and one of the reasons joy is so shocking to us. Um, 
is they catch us off guard and they force us to examine what's, what's underneath. One thing I've been learning uh, as we've been talking about talking and listening to God about prayer is that prayer can be a sanctuary in time where you wake up from your illusions. And there may be no prayer as effective for waking you up from your illusions as the prayer of grief to sow in tears. I have no idea how you've experienced the last couple of months as we've been exploring prayer together. I just want to say I've been deeply convicted. I've tried to share that as honestly as I could. I've had my own paradigms for what prayer means shifted. I've been trying to take action on those. I've, I've been trying to take steps of obedience. The feedback I've gotten from many of you is you're having similar experiences, which all the more gives me joy that we're part of a shared family together. There's a question in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, and it comes in this really dramatic scene in 1 Kings, um, and Elijah is standing there with the covenant people of God, and uh, all this stuff has been happening, and they're supposed to have their hearts fully uh, aligned with, with Yahweh, and yet they've been worshiping themselves, and they've been worshiping all these false, smaller gods, and so it comes to this sort of tension point. And Elijah asked this question, 1 Kings 18, to the covenant people of God. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you pay lip service to Yahweh and yet live as if it's really these other smaller gods or yourself on the throne? And uh, What I found in the hospital last year and by the graveside and in living rooms and it's just a waking up <laughs> to, to some version of that question that either God is really God and we can count on these promises and they're true or, or he isn't and we should just be having brunch But God, let us be rescued. And may, maybe one small corner of what this grief could do is rescue us from a polished and sophisticated misery that is mild deism. <laughs> that God is out there somewhere, watchmaker, but not involved. Either God is in the hospital room, God is at the graveside, God is at the feast, or go have brunch. That's what I feel as the pastor. (laughs) The middle space is miserable, and I'm not saying that to guilt you. (laughs) I'm saying if you construct a God that is your self-image projected, that God will not make it (laughs) through this. That self-projected God doesn't have this testimony. It works actually pretty well on ordinary Wednesdays and stuff, but not in the hospital, not at the graveside. 
It's such a small little grace, but we planned out this sermon series on prayer, and I didn't know that the week that we were supposed to talk on sowing in tears and reaping in joy was going to happen to fall on the anniversary Sunday. So we have help. I want to put this on the screen. This um, I want to see if we can put the whole thing, and some of you will need to get your glasses out. Um, You have to make the font small to make it fit. This is just how science works. Um, But I just want you to see, you know, this this psalm helps rescue my heart from that middle space where I'm functionally an atheist, where I'm functionally controlling my own life. It rescues me and it pushes me to the white hot ends of the spectrum where I'm sowing in tears and reaping in joy. And just know that these are the types of prayers people have been praying for centuries. Like when God rescued us, when he healed us, when he restored us, we thought it was a dream. It was like a dream took place. We could barely believe that it was real. Things that we had begun uh, to hope for, things that we never thought possible, they were happening. We were so deeply moved and what flowed out of our lives was not just a pursuit of pleasure or, or temporal happiness, but some spring of joy. Now, joy might feel naive in, in Brooklyn in 2019 if you're paying attention to the world. But why would you not want it? And it's also weird because it's not something that you get directly. You don't get joy by going after joy. It comes as a result. It's a resultant emotion. But real joy filled their mouths. And then by verse 4, there's a little 4 over here. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Like they're asking for restoration again. So whatever, these people had been rescued. And guess what? They needed to be rescued again. They'd been comforted and they needed to be comforted again. They'd been healed and they needed to be healed again. You've rescued us. Rescue us again. That's the life of prayer. We know about your rescuing, restoring love because we've experienced, but we're in, we're in another place where we deeply need you. I want to say this as we're ending this series. Um, whatever else prayer is to you, I want to say it can be a place where you bring your whole heart to God, where you keep nothing back, where you hide nothing, where you don't have to wait until you've sorted it out or you've changed the behavior or you've fixed yourself. You can just bring it all. And here's a promise associated with that. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. I just want to say, uh, a few sentences about the tears and a few sentences about the joy. What kind of tears are we talking about? The first, the most obvious, the candles burning behind me. We shed tears of grief. We live in a world that is not as it should be, that is broken. And what we repeatedly get is uh, whatever you think about God's hand and why it's broken or what he should do about it, the repeated refrain of the scriptures is that God's heart is broken about how things are and that 
God's not satisfied with how things are. And so it is right and good for you to bring your pain before God. Searing pain breaks into our lives unexpectedly. We lose what we love. Good and beautiful things run out. Seasons change. Relationships are lost and broken. People leave us. We have a father who longs to restore your whole heart. I want you to hear that, church. We have a father who can take all that's in your heart. Second type of tears I want to mention are tears over wounds and accusations, right? We grieve what takes place in the world, but we also grieve uh, kind of those pain points that are regularly impacted in our own souls, and sometimes, a lot of times for us, that will, that will play out as accusation in our mind. On top of the pains in the world, there are times where our lives seem to be under some kind of attack. And whatever you want to say about that, we have a strong voice of accusation in our minds. Here's the type of things you might hear. You're never going to be enough. You're never going to be really known and really loved. You're never going to be really seen. You've done too much to really be forgiven. You think you're like these people? These people are better than you. You're always going to be defined by your failure. You're always going to have this anxiety or this depression or this addiction. It's just the real you. That's the most true thing about you. Of course you're suffering. It's because of who you are. This whole thing is your fault. And sometimes in... Our quick desire to get to Sunday, we pass through how painful Saturday is and how painful, this, this is broken, um, how painful those wounds and accusations are when they play in our hearts and minds. Uh, so you can bring the tears of those wounds and those accusations before God. You can say, remind me of who I am. Remind me of your promises. The last set of tears I'm going to mention are, are tears of, of self-denial, right? And now we've moved emotionally away from, maybe it feels like we've moved emotionally away from the candles, from, from our grief. But any of you who've tried to follow Jesus in a meaningful way know that you ran into some point where you had to die to yourself, where you had to say, I'm not going to pursue this quick pleasure because I believe I'm being called to some other deeper abundant life. And sometimes we gloss over self-denial as like, take up your cross and follow Jesus like it's just marching along with a smile plastered on our face. But taking up a cross is agonizing, even if you believe in Easter morning. Going through a Friday and then a Saturday of disillusionment before Sunday And so as you come to the place where you're walking in the way of Jesus, there's going to be times where you can grieve and you should grieve even your own self-denial. We don't have to pretend piety and, and imagine that God who might be asking us to give up something that he expects it to be easier, that dying to ourselves will not feel like a real death. So we shed tears of grief and we shed tears over our wounds and accusations. We shed tears of self-denial. I want to say two things. One, 
Jesus, we have a recorded example of Jesus weeping over each of these things. So when we shed these tears, we are like Jesus in some way. He wept at his friend's grave. He, he wept over Jerusalem. I believe he more than likely wept in the, in the wilderness during the temptation. He wept for sure in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because we are experiencing a world with tremendous resistance. The scriptures talk about it over and over again, that there's an internal resistance in you. The Bible calls it the flesh. That there's a systemic resistance in the, wor- in the world, which is, is mentioned. And then there are spiritual enemies, the devil and, and demons. And I don't, I, you know, like I don't, uh, I can't pretend to make that a comfortable subject matter for you, but I, I, I'd, I'd rather offend your sensibilities than have us go on in ignorance. We are up, up against resistance at every front, internally, externally, and from the enemy. And every one of these tears that I'm mentioning are shed at those points of resistance. We grieve the way the world is. We grieve the internal struggle in ourselves. We grieve the attacks that we're experiencing from the enemy. And you know what? We absolutely have to have God in the center, and we have to take care of one another. That's what it means to be the, the family of God. Why did Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself? Because this is the expression of the victory of the kingdom at the very places of resistance. It's where we sow in tears so we can reap in joy. It's saying, I'm with you on Friday, and I'll be with you on Sunday. The last things I'll mention, and then we're going to have time to worship and pray and close. What kind of joy are we talking about? I hope you don't think we're getting there too soon, but. The psalm mentions joy as a stream or streams, joy as songs, and joy as sheaves. And I'm betting the third one's the one you're least familiar with. How many of you guys are like, I got so many sheaves of joy. I'm literally covered up in sheaves. I barely have room in my 600 square feet apartment for all the sheaves. First of all, joy, when you've sown in tears, joy can be like a stream, and it's specifically a stream in the desert. And the desert that happens to be mentioned is one of the most arid places on the earth. It is, it is a place that is unflinching in its admission that life is hard. The desert, can I get a witness over this last year, over the last two? The desert is an unflinching reminder that life is hard. So how much more important is a stream in the desert? Right In the lush forest, the babbling brook is great. An oasis when there's nothing else to keep you alive, that is everything. That's actually joy. (laughs) Being picked up when you have nothing left. That little ounce of hope when you're ready to give up. Somehow collapsing back into a chair because it's it's too much, and then getting up and coming to the mic and giving a testimony of resurrection like I've never heard. Streams in the desert. But it's not just streams, it's songs. Because kind of anybody can come to the stream if it's there in the desert and it pops up and certainly there's personal expressions of the streams in the desert. But what we need to do, and here's our, here's our calling as a community, is you come to the stream and you drink and then you give a song about it. I was parched and now I've been 
nourished. I was giving up about to die and now I'm giving a song about it and nobody else can sing the verse of the song that you're meant to sing. Do you want to know one of the things you can do that no one else can do? It's sing your particular song of joy out of your DNA, out of your story, out of your sphere of relationships, out of the circumstances you've been through. Nobody else can sing your song of joy so either you're going to sing it or it's going to be missing. One of the things I'm never going to forget is those days sitting with the families in the hospital. They weren't singing about it, but they were telling these little verses. And they were stories about Abby or Josh or about the family or about some moment with Grandpa or this and that. And uh, it's like nobody else can tell these stories. They're the songs that come from streams in the desert. So joy is like a stream, and then joy is like your personal expression of that. And then here's the thing. When your personal expression of that song begins to harmonize with hers and his and ours, now you've got a chorus of joy. And it's not that flimsy, substantial happiness of marketed pleasures. It's, this, it's the deep, abiding, spring of life type of joy that comes up from a resurrection and the last thing is the sheaves. We're not just talking about ideas. We're talking about real nourishment. We're talking about a harvest. Bring your whole hearts to God. And he's going to change things and, 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 and be involved and give you something to show for it. To give food where there wasn't any. That's what Jesus regularly expressed as the kingdom of God. To give peace where there was conflict. To give comfort where there was agony. To give understanding where there was ignorance. To give faith where there was self-assured doubt. To give healing where there was a wound or an illness. We bring our whole hearts to God, to the places we're beaten down by the resistance of this world. We shed our tears, but we wait in hope. And he will bring a harvest, a new thing. Behold, Trinity Grace Park Slope. Whatever else you know of me, I promise you I'm not pretending in saying this. In so many ways, God knows how I am remedial and must hear things on repeat. In so many ways, he's been telling me, telling us, telling you that he is beginning a new thing. <laughs> that we have passed through a season and it was agonizing and yet a new season is upon us. And I'm not in any way saying that it won't have hardship, that it won't have many other Saturdays before Sundays or even Fridays. But I am telling you this, one way or another, God is intending to confirm to us as a community that there is a new season coming, a new day. Joy is such a powerful and rare force in our world. It seems to lack sophistication, right? It seems to be naive almost. If you're paying attention, it feels in short supply. Again, I want to say it's not something that you get directly. It's a gift that comes through sacrifice, through showing love, through showing up. And I want to be bold to say I think Trinity Grace Park Slope in some way is being called to receive an anointing of joy. I know personally, I feel, and, and this is, if you know me, like, 
whatever excitement you think that I demonstrate, like my mind, this doesn't come easy to me. Let me just say that joy doesn't like come super easy to me. And I believe that we are, we are, we are, we are receiving an anointing of joy. Hebrews 45 and, and, uh, our, our Psalm 45 in Hebrews 1 speak of this anointing of joy that was on Jesus. It says, it says that he's been anointed with joy greater than his companions, whatever that means, joy comparison. Now, so many of you know and are comfortable with Jesus who is acquainted with grief. Now, let me tell you this. We serve a Jesus who is acquainted with grief. At every place of resistance, our Jesus shed tears. At the grief of the world, at the accusation of the enemy, at needing to deny himself in Gethsemane, tears that were like drops of blood. We serve a Jesus who is acquainted with grief, but we serve a Jesus who is anointed with joy. He knows all about grief, and he can enter into any room, any hospital, any living room, any barren space, any desert. Our Jesus can come in, and he's like, I'm familiar with this. But you know what? He's anointed with joy. He's familiar with grief and anointed with joy. And I believe that's our calling, because we're followers of Jesus. Trinity Grace Park Slope, you are called to be familiar with grief, acquainted with grief, and anointed with joy. What a powerful testimony that would be in Brooklyn in 2019, a community anointed with joy. So I want to ask you to bring your whole heart before God this morning. I want you to bring your tears. Some of you have. And I want you to ask for joy. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to do that. Bring our tears and ask for joy. Come Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just surround this congregation, each person here, with such a sense of your presence that that just for a little bit we could let go of our critique of one another, our our self-evaluation, our our voices of shame and accusation that play in our heads. And just for a little while, would you make this a sanctuary in time? Would you make this a place of freedom, Holy Spirit? Would you make this a place where we can let ourselves not be protected for just a bit and and just shed our tears? Maybe... Holy Spirit, for each of those categories, you, you, you may call things to people's mind that they just need to just shed tears before you. I don't want to struggle with this anymore. I don't want to, I'm, I'm still in agonizing grief. Take this weight, God. I still hear these accusations on a daily basis. Some of you need to come. And, and this, this space up at the front uh, has these rugs because we want you just to be able to come and lay down or kneel or stand before God and just put it before him. So God, I just, I want to keep praying, Lord, that you would, you would prompt and lead each person by your Holy Spirit to sow in tears and then that you would give a hint or maybe an overwhelming baptism of your joy to this people. For Lauren and Charles, for Jonathan and Ruthie, would you give them a baptism of joy? type of Sunday morning joy that has come through Friday and Saturday. And for us, alongside them and linking arms with them, can you give us an anointing of joy? 
Jesus' name, amen. Church, let me tell you what we're going to do. And I invite you to go ahead. You can stand up. Our God is as mystical and mysterious and powerful and out there as you could possibly want and yet is as near and as specific and is as concrete as you can imagine. And so the, the beautiful sacraments that he's given us, you've come into the family of God forever. Here's a meal. It's bread and it's a cup. You, your, whole, your whole life has changed. You're gone and you've been born in some kind of a new way. Now here's a bath. Take this bath, this baptism. As you come to the table this, this morning, just know the mysterious, powerful, majestic, glorious God is present to us in one another and in this meal. Sowing tears of joy and reaping breadcrumbs of nourishment body and blood of Christ shed for us to heal us, to say Sunday's coming. And then this open space, I just want to say we put these rugs down because we want you to be free before God. We want you to pray with one another. There'll be people up here that would love to receive you and just hold you. You don't have to say anything. They just give you an embrace. They would love to pray with you over something that you're celebrating or something that you're grieving. So I'm going to pray over the the elements of of the table, and then I'm going to invite all of us forward to receive communion, to stay for prayer, to pour out your hearts to your brothers and sisters. Do it in pockets all over this room. This space is just a little more open and a little less like a middle school auditorium seat. But wherever you are, would you respond to how the Holy Spirit is leading you? Heavenly Father, would you bless the bread that represents your broken body and your blood and, and the cup that represents your blood that you have died on the cross to give us your life forever. May we take up the promise that we can sow in tears and reap in joy. And may we take good care of one another in these next moments. Would you, Holy Spirit, minister freedom, minister healing, minister life, minister resurrection hope, Minister reconciliation. God, those people who are feeling like they're on the edge and on the fringe and maybe they've carried themselves there and you're like, come on back home. Would you do the ministry that only you can do? In Jesus' name. Church, let's just be free. Come forward, receive the meal. As you're traveling, maybe you stop on the rug for a few minutes and kneel before God and leave your tears and ask for an anointing of joy. Let's minister and pray. There'll be people up here that, are, that are, have prayer signs on. They would love to pray with you over anything at all. Churches, you're ready. Let's respond, take the meal, worship, pray, sow in tears, reap in joy. As you're ready, church, come and receive.